This is the Leapcast, where we talk about how today's current events impact your real life. If you are tired of politics or you are just exhausted from the spin, this show is for you. My name is Andrew Lieb, and every week I host a talk radio show breaking down the news from an independent point of view. We discuss real estate, business, and your health. Hear from the experts and learn the truth on the Leapcast. Personal coach and trusted attorney, Andrew Lieb. I just want to know how many people went and got cookies during the break. Pink cookies. Pink cookies for Mother's Day. And they're not just restricted to the mothers out there. As Lauren pointed out, she'd give them back to her children. As you know the rule, a minute on your lips, a lifetime on your hips. And there's nothing a kid likes more than a cookie with icing on it. Forget the kid, the husband. That's nothing more the husband likes more. Would you like to get me Mother's Day cookies so I can give it back to you? I always get our kids. I don't know if you've noticed. for Father's Day. I don't know if you've noticed. I always get our kids really big cookies I know they can't finish. So I can have my bite, lick, and taste. That's for my Weight Watchers people out there, my BLT. (laughs) I can have my BLT, my bite, lick, and taste. Without feeling feeling guilty, I didn't buy me the cookie. It wasn't my cookie. Those aren't my points. Those are the kids' points. That's one of my moves. And I imagine that a pink cookie uh, clearly isn't for me. Pink means girl. That's what I know. Although, maybe with this new sexual harassment as a crime thing, you're going to have police showing up to a baby a gender party, a gender reveal party, and they're going to say, you can't use pink or blue. That's discrimination. You're already you're – already, well, that's where we're going with it because we need rules we need if this is really going to progress the way that it's going it has to start from a level of elementary school and up because the society is going to be adapting slowly and subtly as we said before but we don't want to go to jail so we left you at the break with something we've talked about a few times before and it's based on that newsday because newsday again we like what they did they did this this investigative reporting, this is where their new era is going, investigative reporting, and they did that Long Island Divided series. And based on that, the New York State Senate did a report, and in the report, they suggested having implicit bias training. Drum roll, please. Then what we have is Anna Kaplan sponsors this bill. She's from the 7th Senate District, and the bill is Anna's bill which is S538B, requires real estate brokers and salespersons to receive implicit bias training as part of their real estate license renewal process. And again, this one's not law yet. It's only passed one of the two houses in New York State. Once it passes the other one, here's what the purpose says. The legislation requires an additional two hours of training specifically concentrating on implicit bias training and understanding for a real estate broker or salesperson as part of their license renewal process. So as we're Leap School and we always like to be ahead of everything else, our school, our continuing ed school for brokers and salespersons, we already drafted the deck and we're going to start recording it even before it becomes law because, you know, what's going to happen is if it becomes law, these lovely geniuses in the legislature don't generally realize how long it takes to write curriculum and they say it's required now or it's required in 60 days and it's like a to-do when you have to change your whole curriculum just to give you an idea you might be saying well you already wrote it after we're done writing it we have to record edit upload it on a system make tests create an entire application package for 
RELO, which is the Association of Real Estate License Law Officials, have time testers go through the course. We're talking months and months and months before you and can quick. have a course online. So I'm starting it now so I can have it ready. So we wrote this implicit bias training course, implicit bias discrimination. I just finished it before we came in today. That's why I think it's kind of interesting. In honor of Fair Housing Month, we thought it was a time to do it. April's Fair Housing Month. And when I wrote this course, we were going through the course, I wanted to go over three main topics. There's three things that I thought were important to talk about. One is what is unintentional discrimination? And we're going to loop back there. That's really the key for today's conversation between you and I. That's really the key for today's understanding because if you're going to make things a crime, what is unintentional discrimination? Well, that's what Newsday's report really showed. It wasn't necessarily that people were going out saying, okay, you are this color. I'm only going to show you houses for people of that color. You are this protected class. I'm only going to escort you to where your protected class is. That's not what they found. But my question becomes, if discrimination becomes criminal and it's unintentional and anyone who went to the first year of law school probably not a lot of you. But if you went to the first year of law school and you had to take a criminal law course, I took a criminal law course. Didn't become a criminal lawyer, but Thank I took God. it. In criminal law, you need to have what's called a mens rea, a criminal mind, a criminal intent, a criminal wrong. You need to intend to do the wrong. How do you have unintentional intent? So that's what I'm going to talk about. I want to talk about that with my case trope that we were talking about before. Okay. The second part of the course is legacy of segregation, unequal treatment, and historic lack of access to housing opportunities. And basically, that's to show us how we got to where we are today from this New York State Senate final investigative report on fair housing and discrimination on Long Island. And then we want to talk about, in the third section of this two-hour course we're writing, it's called managing your implicit biases. And just as a little fun game, I just want you to think in your head before I go any further. I want to say something. I want you to think about the answer. Women are blank. Jews are blank. Blacks are blank. Gays are blank. Immigrants are blank. Parents are blank. Interracial couples are blank. Subsidy recipients are blank. When I do that, you have a picture of each of these people in your head, and you've stereotyped them. You have a picture because you go to your background, your history, your childhood, your culture, TV, riding the train, and you know what these people look like and sound like before you even met them. That's your implicit bias. Your implicit bias is really, just so we're on the same page, your subconscious feeling or inclination or your prejudice for or against something or someone. That you haven't even thought about. You it's don't just even, what comes to your head. It's kind of funny. We were having this conversation with my mother this week, and she was saying, that's not what I believe. And <laughs> I kept saying back to her, implicit bias means that you don't know that you're believing it. That's kind of the whole concept of implicit bias. If you knew, if you were conscious of it, it wouldn't be implicit bias. It would be overt bias. Invis implicit means subconscious unconscious, something you're not aware of. So I want you to think about a group and say to yourself, how do I stereotype them? And just to give you an idea, just to give you an idea, 
Do you have any gay friends? Do you have any black doctors? How about a Jewish lawyer? How about a male nurse? Why is it relevant that the person's gay when they're your friend? Why is it relevant that the person's black when they're your doctor? Why is it relevant that the person's Jewish when they're your lawyer? And why is it relevant that the nurse is a male? That's part of implicit bias. This is using a master status labeling, meaning you're taking one aspect of the person that's completely irrelevant and making it the most important aspect of the person for your decision making. I'm going to use that lawyer. It's a nice Jewish lawyer. What you just did is you created subjective beliefs about this person for no p- apparent reason whatsoever. That's <laughs> so many. I'm thinking in my head about all of the things that people I know told me my whole life that just come to the back of my head when you say those questions. And everybody has to be like that. No matter, it's just, this is implicit. This is just, you know, it's interesting. I was talking to somebody recently who said to me that they're not racial. Well, first off, I was questioning what their use of the word racial was, but they're- We both know they meant racist and you're just making fun of them because you know they're probably listening. Ha ha. No, they're definitely not ha. listening. No, they should listen. <laughs> anyway, so they were like, they were talking about a specific area of Long Island and they said that they used to love this area until the area and it goes to those people were there. And I'm looking at them and I'm just like, that's really, really overtly racist. And they're saying that to me that they're not racial. Anyway, my point is that there are people that are overtly against. Overt these, racism. Yeah. The, and that's, that's the what a lot of people think racism is. They think that if you're going to treat obviously treat two people differently or want to be in a certain area and you actually say it out loud that I don't want to be in this area because of. You know, what's interesting. What? We were having lunch the other day and we picked up our lunch. We went to this great place um, that I love a lot. It's um, what, PETA. What is it called? Give them a shout out. They're really good. The PETA oh, place. PETA Pit, which, by the way was in Michigan where I went to college. Go Blue. Go Blue. And after I graduated and I came back to New York, there was no pita pits. But then last year, all of a sudden, by our office. In Hot Pog. A pita pit opened, so I got really excited. You got to check it out. It's a mom and her daughter. They're hustling. They're making this thing happen. They do delicious stuff. I highly recommend pita pit. Great gals, great place. And for this conversation, I hope that you realize that you just gave a master status label because I told you they're great gals, so you've now pictured who they are when they're working, a mom and a daughter. I told you completely irrelevant things that would make you like them. It's true, but we want to support women businesses just like Google says. Yeah. How is that not discrimination? (laughs) On Google, you can search for women business. Anyway, back to the story. So when we were walking out, I saw someone I knew that works in anti-discrimination. They're big on this, like well-known, well-regarded, amazing person. And that person said to me, they were telling me about Florida and they were telling me about South Florida and they were telling me how great it is that they get to be Jewish. And they were saying in South Florida, they feel so comfortable being Jewish and there's a great Jewish culture around there and they're around other Jews. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. And really, do you favor connections because people have similarities to you? Because that's called an affinity bias. So when you're going to sell someone a house, if you're black and they're black, are you more likely to do a favor for them because you're both black? If they're Hispanic and you're Hispanic, are you more likely to try and push them through because you're both Hispanic? Is your affinity to the person one of the things that's driving your actions in the first place? So going back to that Newsday article, 
and I represent a lot of the people that are being sued in the Newsday article, so I can't get into specifics. But what I can tell you, what I can tell you is I have not met anyone involved in that, whether my clients or otherwise, that not one that said they weren't just trying to help people. I was just trying to help. So it's really funny. Um, my mom asked me like what Andrew does for a living because she still doesn't really understand. We've only been together for like 20 <laughs> years. Okay. So I was like, well, do you know that Newsday investigation where they found out that there was a lot of discrimination going on? And she was like, yes, I did read that. I said, well, he represents many of those people. And she's like- And companies. And companies. But she was like, how does he represent somebody that would discriminate? How does he sleep at night? And so, I mean- Well, I think a a big point is that a lot of people aren't trying to discriminate back to this implicit bias thing. People don't even know that they're doing it. And so to loop back how this conversation's going, Lauren, before the 60s, after Jim Crow, it was just a PR issue. It was like a problem. It was a bad thing. Then there became these laws starting in the 60s, Fair Housing Act, 68, and it became subject to civil lawsuit. These laws expanded over time. And not just money damages from private actors, but funding to branches of federal, state, and local government to pursue these claims. And then now we're talking about making these things crimes. That's what I read in Newsday, making discrimination into crime. That You think sexual harassment is anything besides sex discrimination. You have no idea what you're talking about. There's actually no lawsuit for sex harassment. There's sex discrimination. Like, that's what we're talking the technical about. technical terms, you're saying. No, I'm telling you that, lawsuits about harassing people sexually. No, what I'm telling you is that sexual harassment is a type of sex discrimination. Yes. It's kind of like a woman is a type of human. Do you understand <laughs> what I'm saying? Like, it, 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 sex discrimination is the broader category. Like, you're bringing a lawsuit for sex discrimination when you're being sexually harassed. Now, sexual assault is already a crime. I'm telling you, it's a crime. It's a big crime. Like if you rape someone, do you, what do you think rape is? Sexual assault. So there's major crimes on the books now, but by using this terminology change and mirroring other crimes, that's basically what they did just to go again. As Lauren said, isn't that the beginning of us saying, as Newsday said, the first in the nation of making discrimination criminal. And so we loop back to the beginning of this course that we wrote, this new deck that we wrote. And I say to you again, my favorite quote from Trope v. Made Department Stores Co. Since intent to discriminate is a mental state and mind reading not an accepted tool of judicial inquiry. My question becomes, how are you going to do this when people didn't to your mom? Yeah. To your mom. Shouldn't we have a different punishment when someone intends to do something versus if they don't intend to do something? Isn't there a different wrong when you do it with malice and you do it by accident? Isn't there a difference between punching someone and hitting them with your car? Meaning, if you're in a car accident, isn't the word accident? Shouldn't we have discrimination accident be a thing versus discrimination intent? Clearly, because there are all these people that have no idea. And I'm sure that you're listening to and you have no idea that you even had an implicit bias. So here's how they prove intent. It's kind of interesting. Trope gives us three different ways. Here's the most common type. It's using what's called circumstantial evidence. I can prove Lauren's intent to discriminate by looking at suspicious timing in what you did. I can do it based on ambiguous statements, written or oral. 
which is kind of problematic for people that don't speak eloquently. Three. Like the Long Islanders. You got it. They go to soccer practice. Behavior toward or comments directed at others in protected group. I'm sorry. I just have to talk about soccer. So say to yourself the word soccer. Do you use the R or do you just drop the R completely? No, it's not even that. It's E-R and they change E-R to A. And I went to, we were going about Lauren's Michigan thing. I went to school in Indiana. Go IU. Fight, fight, fight. Forget that blue nonsense. And when you live in the Midwest, you quickly be taught by your fellow Midwesterners how there's an ER at that end of the word. And Long Islanders change the ER to an A. And I'm just letting you know. You sound like a fool. A pit of the fool. (laughs) So ambiguous statements, and we don't say that to be offensive, just so we're on the same page. We say it because it's a very easy thing for you to fix, particularly when you're in a business setting, when you're conscious of it. What's the best training to get rid of your ambiguous, while I'm speaking ambiguously? (laughs) What's your best way to get rid of implicit bias, discrimination in your life, being conscious of your actions? That's like a, a really easy way to do it. It's kind of like I was talking to a client because we do a lot of anti-discrimination trainings. That's a big thing. We do on-demand. We do Zoom. We do live. We have a whole training center. This is what we do for companies across the United States. Just talking to someone yesterday about doing it in Florida. Told them that I'm not doing it in September, not doing it in August, but if they want to do it in any winter month, I'm in. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. When you tell someone to, uh, to do something, Listen, he says to me, how do you know it's effective on stopping discrimination? And I said, well, if you're studying for a test five days a week, think about yourself in third grade. One kid, no studying whatsoever. Other kid studies an hour a day for five days. Who do you think is going to do better? The fact that you're studying and you're conscious of something, even if it's not good, makes it better. Does that make sense? Like it's it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And yes, there is exceptions to the norm. I know there's people that hang out. If you're smart, you don't need to study. Absolutely. So let's take the same smart kid. One smart kid does not study at all, gets 80s on his tests. Mom hires a tutor. Tutor works with a kid for an hour a day for five days before the test. I'll bet you anything the kid gets more than an 80. I'm not telling you he's going to do great. I'm just telling you he's yeah. going to do better. You're not saying 100. You're just no. saying if you're going to if you're going to have 100 kids that have this happen, the kids that studied every day, the odds of them doing better is in their favor. There's always exceptions. But back to what we were just talking about on this specific topic and to go looping back here is I said to you what's the best way to get rid of implicit bias, discrimination, being conscious of it. And I'm telling you how they prove intent so then you could not have intent proven against you. And the first one was suspicious timing in your actions. The second was ambiguous statements, oral or written. The third one was behavior toward or comment directed at others in protected group. And the fourth was other evidence from which an inference of discriminatory intent might be drawn. And that's that's the, the first way to do it. It wasn't so much, Lauren. When you speak, don't speak ambiguously. Be very clear on what you're saying. When you're doing something, if it's not going to be in the ordinary course of things, if there's a suspicious timing, if it smells funny, clarify and don't make it ambiguous. Say why you're doing it then. Keep it on your mind. Well, that's all I'm saying. actions hurt other people. So then they say the second type really comes down to what's called testers, which is what Newsday did. Evidence that other similarly situated people, 
other than in the characteristic on which discrimination is based, receive systematically better treatment. So you have two people go meet with the same landlord. One of them is a married couple. One is a single guy. You're trying to see if the landlord discriminates against single men. If they are treated differently, that's the second way you can show discriminatory intent. Are they saying to the married couple, you can move right in. We'd love to have you here. What's your offer? Let's do it. Are they saying to the single guy, how often are you going to sleep here? How many people are you going to have here? Are you going to have parties here? You know, we have rules about noise here. That's what we want to see. Are they treating people that are similarly situated? These people had the same amount of money. They had the same net worth. They had the same desire to rent the same space. Are we treating similarly situated people differently? The third type is the most famous. It's called the McDonnell-Douglas framework shifting formula. That's how most discrimination cases go. I'll put it in plain English. Evidence that a plaintiff was qualified but passed over in favor of or replaced by a person not having the forbidden characteristic. At the defendant's stated reason for the difference in treatment is unworthy of belief, a mere pretext for discrimination. Goes like this. Lauren applies. I say it's not any available anymore. Next thing we know, I rent it exactly the same rules to a man. Doesn't that smell like I intended not to have women? I mean, that's just so overt. Especially smelly women. So the thing is, the thing is, though. Smelly people are not a discriminated class. They should. I ask <laughs> one thing from the New York State Legislature. Make it clear that you can charge smelly people more money. Have you ever had a smelly person in your office? Well, the smelly person could have a disability. I got to tell you, the reasonable accommodation should not be them in a closed door room with me. Okay. So as long as we could do like a Zoom chat. You can give extra deodorant to the smelly people. Oh, the worst. So what I'm getting at, though. On the Leapcast is the current event that we're talking about today starts off with it being April, which is Fair Housing Month. It goes into the fact that Newsday is telling us that there's a first in the nation discrimination, crime, sexual harassment, crime, first in the nation. I did show you that that's really just calling something that already exists something else. But there's a slope, a slippery slope that goes on. I show you the other current event that implicit bias is now an issue. And I combine the two because at the Leapcast, we want to show you how current events impact business and real estate. And what we wanted to show you was how to be conscious of showing that your action shouldn't be used as an inference of intent. Because there's no mind readers out there. There's no way for them to prove that you didn't intend to do it. How do you prove the negative? Well, you prove the negative by being clear in what you say, accounting for any disparity between time, treating everyone with the same qualifications throughout and across the board. You be conscious that when you put on your big boy shorts or your big girl, I should say skirt just for fun, when you do that and you go out into the world, you realize the Liebkast told you that you got a crime coming if this bill passes and new things pass like it. You have civil penalties coming. You have PR issues. And all you have to do is be conscious and keep your implicit biases in check. This is the Leapcast. Have a great week. This segment has been brought to you by the Bryn Elliott team of Douglas Elliman Real Estate. 
Find us on social media at Listen to Leap or visit listentoleap.com. 